Just a quick heads up that this episode touches on some adult themes. So if there's children around, perhaps turn it down or listen later. Sometimes I've seen this beautiful arrival of one partner and they'll often sit next to the nest while the other partner is incubating the egg. And they might uh, do what we call allopreening, where they preen each other. It's this intimate moment between partners where they're, they're preening each other and talking to each other when they do the swap over. I'm Laura Uden, and you're listening to From Afar, a podcast about long-distance love. This episode explores longing, loneliness, and the intimate moments between partners, even when they're a million miles apart. If you haven't listened to episode one, I suggest you start there. Otherwise, you might get a bit lost. So it's really important for seabirds to keep their feathers really well maintained so water doesn't penetrate through to their body and they lose heat. So that means they spend a lot of time making sure every feather's in the right place. Meet Dr Jamie Cleland. She's a watercraft operator with the Australian Antarctic Division, or AAD, and she's also an albatross biologist. She's working with my husband, Sean, who's also driving boats for the AAD in Antarctica. They've successfully resupplied Davis Station with fuel, food and cargo and have swapped out expeditioners. And now the ship, the Everest, is on its way to resupply Mawson Station. The transit between stations gives Jamie time to conduct bird research from the bridge of the ship and Sean has volunteered to help. I have a daily slot up on the bridge with her counting and spotting birds for two hours from 7.30 to 9.30, which I love. Love being up on the bridge and look for any excuse I can to get up there and see the ocean from up high. And I'm getting to learn and know the the seabirds. The albatrosses in particular are a standout to me. They're just so big and powerful and efficient and the way they glide over the water without not even moving their wings is so impressive. And they tend to follow the ship, which is nice. I've asked Sean to interview Jamie as I'm a bit of a bird nerd and I'm curious about the albatross. They do have a beautiful courtship and mating process. Uh, It's uh, almost romantic. The male, he'll arrive at the colony first and he'll spend a lot of time building the nest. And maybe two or three weeks later, the female will arrive back at the colony and... um, There's this uh, greeting and dance uh, courtship process. The male will stretch out his wings and call into the air and dance around the female. And if the female approves, she'll dance back. Can you tell us about how they hand over their eggs to between partners? So she leaves the colony immediately after laying. She's a bit depleted. She needs to go to sea and have some of her own time (laughs) and feed up and it's up to the male then to take that first incubation stint so uh, he can sit on the egg for up to 20 days 
he'll also uh, start bonding with that egg, so communicating with that egg. And that's a really beautiful thing to witness, um, this song that they, they kind of uh, lift their body up off the egg and shake their feathers and look down at that egg and call to it um, before sitting back down on it. Uh, when that egg hatches, about two, two and a half, three months later, the male and female will take it in turns. I can just imagine Dad Albatross swooping in, giving Mum Albatross a quick pash before he sits down on that egg and she takes flight. Gone. At sea for many weeks at a time. I wonder, do they miss each other? Does Mama Albatross feel lonely as she glides over dark ocean swells? Does she long to be cuddled up back at the nest? Is Dad Albatross fed up with self-parenting? My musings may have something to do with the fact that I'm feeling a little bit lonely. I'm in Darwin, in the tropical north of Australia, with our two kids, Matilda and Saxon. It's a completely different world from where my husband is. Here, it's hot and steamy, green and lush. The only ice to be seen is in my G&T on a Friday night. It's been almost eight weeks since I've seen Sean, and I'd really love to share that G&T with him. But he's hanging out in places like Iceberg Alley. So I've woken up this morning and it's absolutely stunning outside. The sun's out. We're going, um, we're transiting just on outside the ice pack and um, I'm currently out on the bow just soaking up all the icebergs and the penguins and it's snowing and um, this is a pretty famous little stretch of water between Davis and Mawson and widely known as um, the most scenic little passage that we do so there's lots of people out with their cameras and soaking up the stunning ice pack and the wildlife and birds that are in the ice pack. Sean's due home in about three to four weeks but each time I hear from him through scratchy WhatsApp calls it seems like there's another hold up. I know this is normal for an Antarctic resupply mission, but it's still frustrating. Today is the 10th of the 3rd, and we're just getting to the ice pack, about a day out of Mawson. We actually haven't done much crashing through ice through this voyage, so I'm hoping to capture a little bit of the ship noise in the forecastle, which is up the front end of the ship, where the anchors are, one level down from the deck. Today's the 11th of March, it's blowing pretty hard out outside, it's about 30 knots, it's seriously freezing cold, it must be minus 10 or minus 12, um, we're trying to navigate a passage through the ice pack, so all of yesterday we skirted around the ice pack and then we come to a standstill that they couldn't get through, 
So we um, just stayed idle against the ice pack for the night and then first thing this morning they've been following leads into the ice pack trying to get through a band of ice to get to Mawson Station which is proving to be a little bit difficult. Just getting to the next little pack ice as you can hear. It's hard to describe, but the entire ship shudders beneath your feet and vibrates, and that thunder that echoes through. I start to feel nervous. As the ship makes its way into the thick band of sea ice, through cracks that look like fault lines from an earthquake, I wonder... Will the winds change and close the gap behind them, trapping them in the ice? Will they get through, make it to Mawson Station, but then be stuck on the wrong side of the sea ice? Today is the 13th of March. It's about 18.30 at night, and I really wanted to just capture the scene that I'm looking at, which is so idyllic I'm finding it really difficult to describe, but... We're hard and fast into the ice pack and there's ice as far as I can see that's sort of broken up with little patches of Adelie penguins and seals and then you've got the gentle swell that comes from out of the ocean that moves the ice pack up and down and the sun is slowly setting in, in the background and there's a really dark moody sky and I just can't really describe how amazingly stunningly picturesque it is. I wish I was there to experience this world, to see what Sean is seeing. Mostly we share things in our lives with each other, especially the good stuff. But this is only his. We're about 80 nautical mile from Mawson Station. Um, we've had a few days of trying to punch through the ice pack and the decision has been made late yesterday that we won't be going through the ice pack to get to Mawson. So that's led to the decision that there's a fly-off. A fly-off where they resupply the station via helicopters rather than barges and small Zodiac-style IRBs is something that AAD planned for. It's happened before, but it's not common. And with the ship sitting in ice 80 nautical mile from Mawson Station, it's an incredible logistical task. It also means that the ETA of Sean getting home in the next three or four weeks is looking very unlikely. Today is the 15th of the 3rd. We are doing chopper flights today the first one's just departed and that's a recce mission to look at when and how they're going to start ferrying people reshuffling cargo it was almost like a community feel down on the back deck there this morning we had big long chains of people shuffling boxes down a big chain of people to the two designated chefs they're the two 
important people making the decisions about what's to be used, what's to go to the kitchen, what's to be thrown out. So that was pretty fun. I've got to say, we, me as a watercraft operator, has been quite idle the last few days. Um, so it's nice to feel like you're contributing in some way. Smoke is gold. I spoke with Sean last night and we still don't have any idea when he'll be leaving Antarctica to come home. Uh, it's been two and a half months since we've seen each other now and he left Hobart uh, maybe eight weeks ago, nine weeks ago. Life in Antarctica is unpredictable to say the least, but both Sean and I, along with all the other expeditioners and their families, know that. But the knowing doesn't always help. It's 9.30 on a Saturday night and I've just finished ordering my grocery shopping. How exciting. I was actually meant to be at a 40th birthday party and also a bunch of other friends are going out for dinner tonight and invited me along and I was also asked to go out with some other friends and their kids so last option was kid friendly could take them with me uh, just to a picnic on the beach for dinner and I said no to all of them why Oh, I don't know. Numerous excuses going through my brain. I'm tired. Oh, it's been a big day. It's too hot. But really, I don't have an excuse. I just feel pretty lame. So what am I doing? Why am I sitting home on my own on a Saturday night? ordering groceries I don't know maybe it's things are just getting hard and boring and I've had enough I want my husband home I want to have a break As I start to feel pangs of loneliness and fend off sparks of resentment, I run into old friends Natesh and Silpi. Originally from Nepal, they lived in Darwin for 10 years now, but their families are back in Kathmandu. So I ask them what they miss most about home. First thing foremost is family. Like no matter what you achieve, no matter how much successful in your career, but if you are not with your family members or your friends, it doesn't matter 
Yeah, and so how do you cope with those feelings of longing and, and missing family? We try to talk to everyone almost every day, <laughs> if possible, but otherwise every alternative day, at least with mums, you know, or, or somebody back home. Um, other than that, we try to go back to Nepal every year or we invite someone from Nepal here, so at least, you know, we, we're there. Um, but, yeah, I think that's that's how we do it. We try to talk to as many people as, you know, f- uh, friends or family, whoever uh, is available around that time. And then there is, you know, time difference from here in Nepal. So that makes a lot of difference as well. It's just a good example, like just last night, um, I was not quite feeling well so I went to bed around 9.30 and my niece sees um, sees six now and she rang me around 10, 10.30 and uh, well I didn't pick up the phone and this morning I just checked it while she was trying to ring me. She sent me a very cute video because she, she was drawing an ice cream and she wanted to show me how to draw an ice cream. <laughs> Oh, that is cute. That's, I mean, technology is just incredible, isn't it? And I think COVID has shown us all how important it is as well. Yeah. So that's how, and a good thing is like we, we are, we both are here. So we, we console each other. We support that. Like if I feel low, she will be active and she, she, she will counsel me and then make me comfortable. And then when she feels low and then I, so there is, we're here as a family, as a friend, as whatever you name it, uh, we we covering all the roles in ourselves. Mm. Being um, each other's, you know, big support, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Because the thing is, in in country like Nepal or in, in you know, the background where we were brought up, or we were born, um, you know, the dreams are not just your dreams. You know, if you have got a dream of achieving high degree or buying a house or buying a car or buying a new, you know, whatever it's a dream of your family and then when um, you know when you achieve those things and if there is nobody to celebrate you just feel so incomplete you know and then in in situations like this you it makes you feel like zero you you know you don't even exist that's exactly how i feel the good things are just not that good when you can't share them with the people or person you love the most. It is got a big nose and black and white eyes with brown body. It goes underground to protect itself from mobs and dodge. No, I mean from Pokemon and dodge. It is my favourite Pokemon. That's Saxon in his room reading to himself (laughs) I love it and I just caught myself you know brushing my teeth listening to him and I turned around to say to Sean have a listen to him and smile and share the joy of parenting and he's obviously not here uh, and yeah, it really made me sad. I'm really missing him. I think the hardest part of being a sole parent is not having someone 
to share the joyful, funny, happy, proud moments with. <laughs> I can still hear him reading to himself. He never reads silently, only ever out loud and with all the expression of the world. And I feel really joyful actually that I'll be able to share this little recording with Sean when he gets home. Some of the unique things that happen down here is that you've got endless amounts of chocolate and treats and that um, they use that as a tool for warming up out in the cold. So every time you go out on a shift, you're allowed to take a little bag of chocolates or snacks, which is pretty cool. This is the latest recording from Sean. It's just arrived from Antarctica. When I first started making this podcast, I thought Sean would be able to send me his audio files online from the Everest. But turns out big files like these have to be put onto a USB stick and manually taken to one of the stations, then emailed back to Hobart headquarters via their dedicated comm system and then uploaded for me to access. It's taken ages for them to arrive, and every day I've been checking my inbox. Always take a thermos with um, hot water or a hot drink in there. Um, We use that as a little escape to warm you up from the inside out. Um, But yeah, definitely battle dehydration. That seems to be an ongoing battle for for me and others. You can't keep enough water in. And as I said, your your skin goes dry and flaky and your eyes are chalky and sandy. It's so lovely to hear his clean, clear voice. Not through a broken, scratchy line. But here, in my ears, like company. Almost like he's here with me, explaining about the chocolate and the hot drinks and the chalky eyes. I didn't realise how much you can miss the sound of someone's voice. And as I listened, I was secretly a little pleased to hear this. I miss going for a run. I miss the sound of the rain on the roof. I miss wearing thongs. I miss sleeping under a sheet, under a fan, with the breeze coming through the louvers. I miss palm trees and the westerly wind that always happens at this time of the year. miss the sound of frogs while having a beer by the pool in the evening. I miss cuddles with me kids and their laughter and the snuggle with my wife on the couch after they go to bed. Just definitely having one of those days that I'm just missing home a little bit. This yearning pushes aside all the normal niggles of everyday life. The things that annoy us are pretty much forgotten. And what remains is a longing that rests deep inside. It reminds me of a well-known saying, absence makes the heart grow fonder. It's piqued my interest, so I do some research. And it's from a poem written in 1844 by Thomas Haynes Bailey called Isles of Beauty. And reading the poem, I feel like it was written just for us. 
When the waves around me breaking as I pace the deck alone and my eyes in vain are seeking some green leaf to rest upon. What would I not give to wander where my old companions dwell? Absence makes the heart grow fonder. Isle of beauty, fare thee well. With these words ringing in my ears, I decide to find out whether others think that absence makes the heart grow fonder. So I set up a phone convo with Geo, who was born in Darwin but now lives in Phoenix, Arizona. He met the love of his life online. We, we kind of fell head over heels for each other. So it, it's, it was sweet in a sense, but it also creates a bunch of problems, you know. Admittedly, it took a few years. Um, we met in 2010, um, and I basically was back and forth uh, from Australia and, and the US uh, three times before 2013. So um, we, we basically stayed in touch. Dan came over to Australia. I then went back over to the United States, and it was this toing and froing. Luckily, um, in 2013, you know, just by a, a stroke of fate, uh, there was a trio of, of things happened. Basically, I lost my job from a job that I didn't really want. I, I got a big paycheck from a bunch of freelance work that I uh, had, had been doing for a couple of months. And a Barack Obama came across the TV here in Australia and was telling, telling us that America had basically allowed same-sex marriage at a federal level. It was basically just a, a big green light. And I, I got on, I got on the, the FaceTime with Dan and, and I basically said to him, what are you doing next week? You know, I said, what, do you want to get married? They tied the knot, but soon realised that their long-distance stint wasn't over. Immigration laws meant that Geo had to come back to Australia for another 14 months before they could finally be together. There's the old saying, absence makes the heart grow fonder. Would you agree with that? Oh, definitely, definitely. I've, I've had some pretty special pickups at the airport, if you know what I'm saying, you know, yeah. I've... Yeah. When he, when he first came to Darwin was pretty special because I knew it was going to be a tough flight and he was smelly and he was grumpy and all this stuff. But when I gave him a big hug, he cried his ass off. I've got to admit, I've had, I've had some moments like that where I'm like, you know, when, when I'm, I'm at home 24-7 and Dan's at home 24-7 and we're just in each other's hair 24-7, um, you know, and, and geez, we give each other the shits. <laughs> but um, but no that, that 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 long that long stretch and and when you finally get to see them and you go oh look at him look at him there he is yeah it's it's special it's special yes it is really special I get butterflies in my tummy again when I think of seeing Sean you know those exciting unexpected butterflies that don't flutter that often after fourteen years of marriage. Instead of my brain being filled with the day-to-day relationship stuff, I have time to think about the things I love about him. Like how he has this incredible knack of making everyone around him feel good about themselves. And you know, there are ways to stay intimate, even from afar. It's a difficult thing to talk about, but how do we deal with our desires when we were away from the person we love. Yeah, so with that intimacy, um, sort of, how did you deal with that? Like, was there FaceTime sex? <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you raised it. I'm glad you raised it. 
Honestly, <laughs> honestly, I think I think I would be lying if I said there wasn't. You know, and I think everyone would be. I think anyone that's faced a long distance relationship at some point they have to they have to explore what it means to to still have that desire and and yes. and, and express it because I think that's what we're talking about that expression of desire. Yeah. Um, I would say it was always uh, three stars or below and awkward, awkward. Yeah. yeah, I think it's I think awkward the whole even thing. talking about, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ah, uh, yes, awkward, but real. Saying that, our kids are going to listen to this. So, without going into detail, all I can say is that WhatsApp sex with the line continually cutting in and out is frustrating. I also brought it up with Tamara and Rhiannon. You heard from them back in episodes one and two. Do you have phone sex? <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I ask for nudes, but I don't get them. <laughs> I'm surprised she doesn't draw me stick figures, in all honesty. <laughs> yeah. I ask, I say, are you going to send me a photo at all this trip? And she just says, I don't know, I'm busy. <laughs> Which means no. Yeah, I'm mowing the lawns. <laughs> um, no. Uh, no, so <laughs> I, I definitely don't get nudes on my last trip anyway. I've missed those. Uh, and we definitely don't. There's no room in any of the places that I go that you can do those sorts of things. It is it's definitely not a... Um, there's no private areas for alone time <laughs> at all. <laughs> While intimacy is important, there are other ways to stay connected. Sean told me about one of the expeditioners, Peter Boyle, who was a sparky on Davis Station for the recent unexpected and extra long summer, winter, summer stay. He has a really interesting tale about meeting and then staying connected long distance to his partner. Uh, Interestingly enough, in the... uh first week of uh, pre-departure training um, I saw a girl uh, sitting on the on the bus and I said oh you're um, doing training as well and she said yes and I said oh another electrician no a doctor actually I'm like oh wow <laughs> that's pretty specky <laughs> and uh, yeah I'll, and I must admit at the time I immediately thought she was uh, pretty cute um and you guys hooked up and did she go to davis station with you uh no actually so she um spent uh her summer winter summer um at casey station wow so you guys hooked up during training and did your training almost together and then she went to one antarctic station while you went to another that is a unique relationship so how long did you actually get to spend with your partner so we spent uh basically the whole time of pre-departure together and that was uh, approximately two, two and a half months. And I guess you've had um, been able to make um, contact and stay in contact and maintain your relationship while you guys have been away separately. Uh, yeah, absolutely, mate. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, um, in lieu of being able to see each other, uh, you know, we have to send each other a lot of photos and videos. So for maintaining uh, this relationship, I've found that to be 
pretty crucial and um, relationships back home as well you know uh, it's been been a real blessing to be able to um, have that contact with the outside world. I agree compared to a few years ago when Sean first travelled to Antarctica and we only had email contact plus an odd satellite telephone call this time with WhatsApp it's been amazing just to be able to quickly send a message share photos and talk most days has made us feel so much more connected However, sometimes, as Gio so eloquently describes here, it's the old-fashioned methods that work the best. I would say that, um, you know, the, the communication and the connection that you can get through a FaceTime is, is, is just one of the flavours that humans can communicate across. You know, it's, I found writing an email, I've actually, I actually really like writing big, long emails. I'm one of these people that write, write novels, you know. Yes. But I, I get everything out, you know, and I, I get it in, in succinct, gorgeous, beautiful English, you know. Yes. <laughs> and, I, and I think I've had conversations over FaceTime or over the phone and it's just shit, you know, or it's just, we, and, and we argue and all this stuff. And I think, look, yeah. you need to stop and just listen for a second, you know, and, and, and writing, writing is something that, you know, I think is, we, we don't do that enough anymore. Yeah, oh, look, I completely agree. I, um, my husband and I at the moment are separated. Um, he's in Antarctica and I'm here in Darwin and yeah, we wow. just adore writing each other emails and they become these, you know, love letters that we can keep forever that, you know, yeah. describe what each of us are doing. It's really special. Exactly, exactly. Yes, yes. I keep all the emails Sean and I exchange and they've become a treasure trove and also a time capsule of sorts. But for some things, an email, phone call or even video chat just don't cut the mustard. Sometimes something happens that really shakes you up. Ah, so I'm just sitting in the car. I've just dropped the kids at school. Um, we're pretty late. I'm feeling quite shaken up uh, this morning. I was about to get their kids into the car to go to school and I heard this horrible screaming from out of the front um, and I sent the kids back inside because I knew something was bad and I ran out the front and there was a, a tiny little girl being attacked by a dog. I sat with her and held her hand and um, tried to calm her and we'd called the ambulance and the ambulance and police were on their way but they were taking so long. When I tried to explain what happened and how I was feeling to Sean, he didn't really get how upset I was and I needed more than just his voice at the end of the line. And it's made harder by the news that Sean isn't any closer to coming home. It's getting really cold down there. Things are icing up. But they've still got a lot of work to do at Mawson. Today, the 18th of the 3rd, just had dinner and got the last of the Mawson crew on board. They've flown in via chopper. The next priority is cargo and food. So the idea is that tomorrow, before the weather sets in, we've got a blizzard coming potentially tomorrow afternoon. They want to start slinging some loads 
and I've also I've noticed when I'm out on the deck, um, any little pool that's um, free of ice, if you keep your eyes out there long enough, you'll see the little puffs of air being blown from the whales. And only about half an hour ago, I was out there and I saw uh, a whale poke his nose up in the little pool. So um, I've just been out there and the ice that we're currently in at the moment is definitely thickening up. So I thought I'd come and get the recorder and waltz out there and maybe just to get a little bit of recording, you can um, you can hear the chinks of ice breaking and um, it's definitely thickening up. I'll um, put the microphone in my pocket and wander out the deck. Here we go, gloves on. Beanie on, hoodie on, three layers, uh, Carhartt jacket, boots, thermals. Let's do it. Take me a little pass out of the door so I can get back in. That's the first door. Now I'm going through the watertight door to the outside. It's a big, heavy door. Oh. And the sun's going down out here. Oh, it's stunning sunset. Icebergs in the distance. Just silhouettes on the horizon. A bright orangey pink in the distance. Can't do any more. That's really cold. It's about minus 18, minus 20. Oh. almost impossible to imagine how cold Sean is at minus 20. When here in the tropics, it's hot, around 34 degrees Celsius most days. That's a difference of a whopping 54 degrees. The kids have started asking when Dad will be home. They know he's due home at the end of March, but that's a few days away and he hasn't even left the continent yet. We make sure they talk to Sean as often as possible, but saying goodbye is becoming harder and harder. Okay, goodbye, Dad. Love you. Bye, love you. See ya, love you. Bye, love, love you. Bye. 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 See you, sweet. Oh, are you upset? What's the matter? 
to get the doctor died for long and and I have that feeling where I just you know that feeling where you want to go home but you're already at home yeah I've got that maybe that's just a I'm just not feeling well maybe it's a missing dad feeling sometimes that is like a feeling of loneliness even though there's people around you you can still feel a bit lonely sometimes The calls aren't easing my feelings of longing and loneliness either. It feels like ice in my belly. There's 60 tonne of cargo on board the Everest, and they need as much of it as possible flown to Mawson so the people on station can survive the winter months ahead. But the choppers can only take a few tonne a day at best, and that's in good weather. What does that mean for us? Will Sean be down there for the next month or two months or longer? How long will this take? The unknowing is compounding how much we miss each other and the anxiety I felt before he left is creeping back. There's no date to count down to and make plans around and look forward to. Just never-ending ice. It's such a dynamic and fluid changing beast running these resupply operations is a real credit to the voyage management and how they go about it because they prepare for everything and then they have to really just go with what the elements deal on so a perfect example is what's happening at the moment we got all geared up to do stuff get ready get going get kitted up stand down the weather's not doing what it's supposed to do uh, all right, get ready, get going. Stand down. There's a blizzard coming. We've had a few days of dense fog, which has reduced visibility for birding, but we got visited by a light mantle albatross, which was just stunning, a massive wingspan on it, and it was circling the ship. Yes, the beautiful, mighty albatross. Strangely, sailors see them as both a symbol for luck and doom. I imagine this albatross soaring around the ship, keeping Sean company as he watches from the bridge, and as he looks into the bird's black eyes. I hope it's luck, not doom, that he sees. time on From Afar. Hello? um, Audio recording is burning a hole in my pocket, but I'm sort of not sure where to start. Pardon? Actually, I think it might be a bilby. Well, I, I I was really scared, you know, like, and just wondering, you know, what on earth's going on out there, you know, like it was so loud, but... It really frightens me. 
But I'm trying to stay positive. I'm trying to keep my mind busy, keep my body busy. I still get the goosebumps. It's it's really um, something that you you don't want to think about, you know. To see some gorgeous Antarctic photos, check out our website, fromafarpodcast.net. You can also share your stories with us about longing and loneliness and long-distance love. We'd love to hear them. From Afar was created and produced by me, Laurie Uden, with some help from my husband, Sean, who recorded the sounds and interviews in Antarctica. I couldn't have done it without Cinnamon Nippard, who produced and edited the podcast, and Hamish Robertson, who mixed it. Big thanks also to Johanna Bell for her invaluable mentoring, and of course to our two kids, Matilda and Saxon, for allowing me to record their lives for more than just a few months. If you love the music, look up Darwin singer-songwriter and now music producer for podcasts, Serena Peck. Additional ukulele track by Dominic Razlav. Thanks also to two members of the AAD, Jamie Cleland for sharing her albatross and penguin sounds and Josh Smith for sharing his whale sounds and also the Australian Antarctic Division and Maritime Construction Services for their support. Last but not least, thanks to all the people who participated in the podcast. In this episode, you heard from Natesh Rajpant, Silpi Dunganapant, Geo Hume, Tamara Travers and Rhiannon Townsend, along with Jamie Cleland and Peter Boyle from the AAD. From Afar was created on beautiful Larrakee land and was produced with funding support from the Northern Territory Government through ArtsNT. NT.